Welcome to World of DAS, a show for data enthusiasts. I'm your host, Warren Hoffman, CEO of SafeGraph. For more conversations, videos, and transcripts, visit safegraph.com slash podcasts. My guest today is Jack Dangerman. Uh, Jack is the CEO of Esri, the biggest GIS software company with over $1.3 billion in yearly revenues. Welcome, Jack, to the podcast. Hey, nice to see you, Lawrence. Very <laughs> nice. Nice to see you as well. Uh, now, I have a lot of questions about data, um, but before we get in there, I think it'd be really great to get you know, for our listeners to really understand Esri itself, because Esri, it, it might be the most unique company, uh, at least large company in the world that I know. And so, you know, you and your wife, Laura, founded Esri in 1969, which is 52 years ago, which is amazing. Um, and the company has been around longer than, than really a lot of other well-known tech giants, longer than Microsoft, longer than Apple, longer than Oracle, even longer than SAP. Um, is there some like some sort of non-obvious endurance lesson that other companies can learn from Esri? Well, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. Were you born 50 years ago, Aaron? I, that's what I want to know. I, I, I was not yet. I am pretty old, <laughs> but I was not yet born, no. Well, I think we started it very humbly, just as a little professional consulting practice out when when we left Harvard. And it was, uh, uh, we were really quite scared about what we were doing. We started doing little projects and uh, we didn't borrow money. So we kept it quite simple. We continued to own it and we grew what I guess I'd call a sustainable company with a sustainable business model where... um, you know, we do work, uh, work like hell, then get paid and yeah. then spend the money. You know, <laughs> it's simple, like running your own household. And as we've continued working over the years, we kept some basic principles of never borrow money, don't go into debt, don't take venture capital, those sort of things, largely out of just feeling uncomfortable with doing that. Is there something like, and, uh, like you know, Esri today is, is still 100% owned by you and Laura, um, which yeah. is really extremely rare for like a company that does over a billion in revenues. Like, and there's no outside investors, no liquidity events, no going public, no things like stock options and stuff. <laughs> like, how would you, is there advice you would give to people starting their companies today or thinking about their companies today that is maybe different from the conventional advice, you know, raise $100 million, right. grow fast, you know, et cetera? Well, it depends upon what you really want to do, what your intentions are. Our intention was really to be, I guess, mission focused. We were interested in applying quantitative tools to environmental problem solving and land use planning. And out of that intention came the development of tools, uh, analytic tools, mapping tools. uh, And so it's all about intention. You know, I I don't want to get into what we do so much, but I think uh, young people who are wanting to start a business have to understand what they intend to do. If it's about making money, probably the formulas that are popular in the Silicon Valley of, you know, taking venture capital, uh, going round one, round two, selling out, all that kind of stuff uh, is probably the way to do it. Uh, But for us, that was not so interesting. What was interesting is uh, taking what we had developed and learned in the academy and uh, seeing if we could really make a difference with it. Uh, so that that's maybe one thought that I have is uh, make sure you're clear on what you really intend to do in your life. 
But it's hard to, you know, as a young person in their 20s, it's kind of hard to know what you want to do in your life. Or, or did you, <laughs> do you think people can like, should they first figure that out or? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to say because every, everybody's different. You know, they have different intentions. So I'm not saying that my route or what we did is some rule book that everybody should yeah. follow. But um, we've been quite successful by remaining focused on our main purpose, which is to, uh, initially it was about doing projects ourselves, And later as we built software tools and sold the software tools, it was shifted over to supporting our users, helping them do their work better. That's really the fundamentals of it. And the organization changed in a way in its culture to be user focused or and purpose focused uh, at the same time. And, uh, and also have a kind of a culture of service. Um, I, my parents were in service. Uh, my mother was a maid, my father was a gardener and we all grew up in a family of being in service. They started a little business, a nursery business and that culture I think carried over uh, to us years later and it's embedded here. So we have, you know, we have about 5,000 employees in our U.S. business, but we have about 12,000 employees around the world. And these little companies that we help spawn off, uh, SRE France, SRE Germany, SRE Australia, they also have embraced the same culture that we have, which is, of course, to be a, a strong business. I mean, uh, but also to focus on really wanting to make the world a better place through the actual technology that we create and support. I've met, I met, I mean, a lot of Esri employees have have had a really long tenure. I've worked with a lot of different people at Esri that have been there for 30 years, but yeah. the company has changed dramatically in those 30 years. How how have you worked with your own employees to help them grow and help those employees change as the company changes? Well, when we, I, I said that we are user focused and yeah. customer focused. I suppose that's a something that everybody says. You know, we're user focused, customer focused, but we actually mean it. The purpose of the company is actually to make them do their work better in all of these geographic application fields. The second purpose of the company is really to be a great place to work. So people to come to work here and they'll, I mean, we have a very, very low turnover rate and it's hard to get in. I have to say, it's not just to apply for a job. And we screen people a lot. And once they're in, we really work on uh, growing them as individuals. So we have heavy you know, subsidies on education programs. Uh, and we really want to be a kind of, people again say these words nowadays, it's kind of irritates me, but a kind of learning organization. We are a learning organization. So all of us keep, including myself, I mean, I study like hell, I work like hell and, and, um, and uh, keep trying to do better. That's sort of our culture. Uh, it's, a, it's a culture of also seeing things, uh, wanting to see things holistically and systematically. Uh, and we apply our, our science, the science of geography and GIS tools to really support that purpose. So people get all in here, <laughs> including me. Uh, you know, you get excited about it and it's hard to, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't find a cool thing to really work on. And so you can have a lot of philosophy, but you don't really have something that's really as neat as this to work on. So we're lucky in that sense. Well, one of the things I find like really fascinating about Esri is you, you go to most companies, successful companies, and you go to like the about us page on their website and it lists like their management team and it goes through and talks about the different people and yeah. this person runs sales. This is the CFO. This is, 
Ezra doesn't have that. In fact, it's somewhat opaque. Like it's kind of hard to know who's running what. There's no like executives that are listed. Um, there's non-obvious titles for leaders. Like someone's called like a director. And sometimes like a director actually is like the, like the, the third most important person in the business or, or, yeah. or something um, yeah. that might be like an EVP at most companies. Like, is there some intentionality around that? Like, is it like the economist, which doesn't list the bylines on, on people's uh, articles? Like, have you thought that, that is there some sort of like specific reason you, you've designed the, the organization like that? The intention is really to run an organization where everybody's respected and there's lots of teams. So how we run it is in a collection of teams. So it's a, a network of teams that are collaborating and inter- and the more, you know, we don't incentivize our salespeople either. For example, there's no incentives to try to take advantage of our customers who are selling or something. No, you just get paid a base, no commission. It, yeah. People are paid on the, on the hours that they work. Yeah. Uh, which is very fair. People work more hours; they get paid more. Uh, oh, they're pay, also uh, you pay hourly rather than like like a, a, a salary or something. Yeah, uh, not oh, all not all employees, but most of them okay, uh, work that way, and it uh, people are very respectful of that. So it's a flat organization, as they say, and it's a flat network of teams. And some people take leadership positions, and some are yeah, like you say, they're really senior and. There's about 16, uh, I think there's 16 directors that run the major major operations, and they are both our board. Uh, we don't have an outside board. We have actually operating board uh, internally, and these people uh, help each other across the organization, uh, and, you know, they're their own critics. Uh, and we have outside influence as well, especially with our users, but uh, I don't have a clear way to answer you. If you wanted me to go to a whiteboard and write out and lay out the organizational structure of the company, I could do so. And it's really all about who takes leadership responsibility for different segments of the organization. So I suppose we could expose uh, ourselves better to the world uh, in that sense. But by not paying attention to, you know, uh, position, uh, what occurs is that people are more open and interactive and sharing with each other. And we try to minimize uh, these sort of uh, uh, um, <laughs> incentives for self-identification. Uh, now, I, I really don't like that uh, as a culture. Uh, I like really more of a collegial style of culture, and that tends to, uh, well, it tends to be more healthy and friendly as an organization. And, and, and the, I suppose if it's more organized, you could go drive, 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 and maybe maybe it is more efficient. But in terms of a place to work, it's not so, not so much fun. The hourly thing is interesting too. So um, you know, most, uh, let's say, technology companies, they, they just pay people like a yearly salary. Somebody makes X dollars per year. Maybe yeah. there's a bonus or something like involved or something like that. And some sometimes they're working well, you know, sometimes they may be working under 40 hours a week. Sometimes they're working way more than 40 hours a week. Right. And maybe their salary goes up, you know, year by year based on like how their performance and stuff. The, the hourly thing is pretty interesting. So, you know, someone, you know, you might have someone who you know, maybe needs more of a flex hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you or someone, they may have ability for whatever reason, their lifestyle to work more than 40 hours a week. And then they get, they, they basically get the advantage of that. Is that how, the way you think about it? Yeah. There's exempt employees, yeah. uh, you know, that have caps and non-exempt, uh, non-exempt employees that have caps of how many hours they can work. And we, 
you know, we place very strict attention to all of the labor laws and regulations on that. But when I was a student at Harvard, I worked in a basement. They paid me $5 an hour. And I thought it was really fantastic because I actually can put my way through school by working all night and then going to school in the daytime. And yeah. they would, the more I would work, I mean, um, and uh, the better off I was able to be. And it was, you know, they trusted me. I had to have integrity with the uh, university, uh, but it was, it was really neat. And it sort of lifted some of the burden of, of you know, check-in, check-out sorts of operations. So uh, that has just sort of permeated here from the very beginning, and it has created a stable workforce. You know, it's very fair because sometimes you have to work 80 hours a week. And yeah. I do it still. Uh, and, you know, your spouse gets mad at you and you say, well, yeah, but by the way, the paycheck is twice as large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's and, actually and so in a way, it's yeah. kind of, it really is neat because people can really work hard and they're rewarded in that sense for in real a time. Work. Yeah. Rather than in a real year time, later in your performance. You know, a year later, if yeah. you did good, Johnny, you know, you might get a raise or something. Yeah. But no. It's immediate. Um, so, and I can, you know, what it does for me as a manager is I can ask people things like, uh, would you help me, you know, on this thing? And turns out we have to stay up all night or something. And, and people are absolutely not disincentivized from it. Right. You know, it takes all that negativity that normally in normal companies away. And I think people are very respectful of uh, the privilege of having that. You know, it, they really are. And uh, it takes time, but it, it's, uh, it's very important. I think that's super fascinating. You know, another thing I'm super fascinated about, about Esri, is, is that how flat the org is. Um, it, it, you personally seem to be extremely accessible. We have thousands and thousands of employees. My anecdote was the first time I was on the Esri campus, I was meeting with a BD person at the company and we were having a good conversation. This is just when we we're starting SafeGraph. And the person's like, hey, do you want to meet Jack? Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, one day I would love to meet him. He, you know, someone I admire, I would love to meet him. And then he actually just like took me out of the conference room and walked me into your office. You were just there working. You were working. You're were, you were at a stand-up desk work. I still remember just like in the middle of working on something, he somehow felt like he had the right to interrupt you and just like walk <laughs> me in there um, and, 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 and do that. Like, I don't even know that most like hundred person companies would be run that way, but in, even in thousands of people, it was flat enough where he felt like he could do that. How, how have you, how do you even like figure out how to protect your time or how to, obviously if employees were always interrupting you, you would never be able to get anything done. So how have you, how do they even know like when they could do that? Uh, and this was not like a high level person I was meeting with. This was a, you know, a, yeah. a mid-level person in the organization, like, if that per- person has the ability, then almost anyone can 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 do it. So how do you manage that? I don't know. Uh, people become respectful, okay? I mean, if they're wasting your time, uh, I don't make them feel guilty or anything, but they somehow they figure it out that that's yep. not a good use of their time. I mean, or of my time. So it just that's just the way it is. I I had the great privilege of spending some time last week with President Obama. I'm greatly nervous because, um, you know, I'm wasting his time. He has a lot of really important yep. things to do. And he's doing just amazing work, by the way, in his so-called retirement. But I mean, he's, he's so I, I, anyone would feel that way. You know, there's the yep. emotion of, of being in the presence of a kind of God. Uh, but then there's also just, gee, I don't want to waste his time. 
And I, I think if you make yourself accessible, people uh, go that way uh, in this in this organization. And also, I'm very respectful of their time, and the ability to uh, support them is is important. And I, I think a, a characteristic of great managers is to support the employees. It's not to be the boss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, yeah. You know that maybe make make some people uh, ego happy, but um, it's really uh, I don't think it's very productive. Be humble, be supportive. That's your job. Figure out how you can help them do their work better. That's really interesting. You, you mentioned earlier another another thing that's like different about Esri is you have this kind of like in some ways less franchise model. You mentioned like Esri France, Esri Australia, and something. Is there is there some sort of like how do you think about is there a history of how that happened and how do you think about these like sister companies? You know, we sort of invent a lot of things here ourselves and. Uh, working with another software, small software company at the time in the early 80s, uh, this uh, fellow, Henry Cochran, told me about how he distributed his software overseas, and it was through so-called distributors. That's the name that he said. We didn't really call it a franchise model, but ultimately it becomes that, where we either independent of us or we make a small investment in an international organization. Like it's kind of like a JV between the, yeah. like a parent and, and a team on the ground or something like and that. I, and it really is important, I think, for our work because uh, our partners in each country are exclusive in the country. They're really part of the culture. They take our tools and they really, they care about their own country. They languageize the tools, they, you know, internationalize the tools, they support the customers passionately because it's their country and uh, they're my partners. So almost none of them have changed over the uh, roughly 40 years that we've done this. And they've grown to be, you know, $100 million operations in their respective countries. And uh, so actually, actually is a much larger company than it shows uh, financially. We have a huge yeah. financial footprint, but it's all through partnerships. And, uh, that's really been very stable. It's allowed us to be able to come up with high quality standards here and then transfer them over, whether it's in marketing or in how we do uh, you know, uh, business development or how we do training or how we do tech support. We're, we have something called Esri University where we bring these people together. We all learn together. They share also how it's going in different markets and where we're being uh, strong and where we're not. So it's a family. Uh, like uh, a global family. And it's, uh, it has, I have so many things to tell you about that, uh, that we don't have time to do, but it, I think it's created a kind of mini UN in terms of friendship and uh, business collaboration around the world. And, and you, like, yeah. cause usually these, like when you have these parents and, and you have franchises there, it's both a collaboration, but you know, if you think of like um, a McDonald's or something like there's also this tension that yeah, can tension. exist. In, yeah. in your case, is do you is is the way one of the reasons you have maybe less tension is because you just have these long relationships with these people and, and they've built yeah. you know partnerships and friendships from it or how do you manage that? Uh, yeah, I don't know the reason why it all works so well. Friendship is most important, I think, and this philosophy of wanting to help them do a great business in their in their country and. You know, businesses go up and down in different countries, you know, inflation, rapid inflation in Argentina. How do you get through? Yeah. Well, carrying through uh, and helping them uh, cover the and helping our users in a country like that 
uh, when they're in deep trouble, giving them continuity. Okay, those are the bad times. And then, but they come back, you know. Yep. The world economy over the years, uh, you know, the money doesn't actually disappear. It just moves around. <laughs> and, uh, so by being able to have a flexible network uh, around the world, we're able to support these partners and they can do their best. And we try to teach them and, and support them doing their best and growing their own business. And uh, with software, you get returns out of it over time. Some years, good years, sometimes bad years, some markets good, some years markets bad, you know, by vertical industry. So it's, it's a lot of fun, actually. International Building an international network is uh, very stabilizing for a business. It's very impactful in terms of uh, spreading it out. And it's not just uh, the classic, the classic, you know, globalization company with franchises is all how you squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. We're all how you support, support, support. And uh, people by owning the companies in various businesses in various markets, they're incentivized by themselves. Yep. So we're not yeah, trying they're entrepreneurs. to whip they're entrepreneurs and you take the best, you know, these people are so cool uh, because they just grow and grow with us. And, yeah. and we learn from them too. I mean, uh, different approaches in different settings. And Ezra, you know, it really kind of invented a category, this GIS, this, you know, ge uh, geographic information system space. It's, it's the dominant um, software company in the space. There are a lot of listeners here who are kind of working on inventing a space or kind of pioneering in a specific space, mm -hmm. whether that, you know, and it could be in a lot of different types of areas. Like what advice would you give to, you know, an, an up and coming company that is trying to uh, invent a space or e even just like invent a word? I, I think you guys invented this kind of word GIS in a way, yes. um, right? So in, in, in um, like, how do people like think through that, that kind of branding kind of event as they're, as they're putting their Stamp on a space. Well, I think having an eye for what's needed and wanted is very important. Uh, and so, when you're so-called inventing something, uh, a lot of people invent things that are, you know, that have no meaning. Yeah. But from my perspective, figuring out something that really uh, serves the market or really helps somebody uh, do something better or uh, improve or make a difference with a, a technology or an invention is the key. And so uh, be focused and grounded on, <laughs> on something that's needed and wanted. That's been, that's been the secret of my success is I don't, I don't try to be interesting. I try to be interested. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, yeah well, that's, I, I've told you that's this That's probably before. good advice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, anybody can be interesting. You can buy a Ferrari, you know, certain clothes, certain castles on your shoes or whatever that, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily result in a successful business. Yeah, uh, it may look good and make you feel good, but the good businesses really deliver great services that people need and want. And so I, I had a friend once who, uh, you know, he, almost everything he touched was successful. And I finally asked him, "What the hell is it?" <laughs> he says, "Well, you know, I don't try to be interesting. I try to be interested. I do what is needed." And man, that's that's uh, the best advice I can give anybody. Yeah, it probably means you need to like get off Twitter or something. Then uh. well, I don't know. <laughs> the, the The other element is uh, for us here is I mentioned that we're continuously learning, all of us as individuals, but in our teams and as an organization, we're learning from our customers. They're telling us what we need to do in order to be uh, relevant. And one of the things 
we do is we spend all of our money. You know, we have great revenues coming in here and in a public company that pay out dividends and all kinds of stuff. Yep. We don't. I mean, we pay our uh, our employees well and we share 20% of our profits with our uh, employees every year. It goes right into their profit sharing program. But uh, mainly our money goes into new innovation. Yep. So about 30% of our revenue is spent on more uh, innovation. And when we do that innovation, it's of course guided by what's happening technically uh, in the world. We have to say current, you know, from mainframes to minis to workstations to PCs to the cloud. You know, we have to stay current. And then the other big, the other big direction is from our users. They say, okay, Jack, we need to do this, or you know, Sud, we need to do that. And they're cleverly, I mean, we have some really, really, I mean, we have uh, just I want to say this humbly and we have incredibly gifted engineering talent here, and they engineer things in holistic ways with first principles. And we are we're really blessed because we can do so because we do have revenue stream because of all the customer relationships that we have, and we take care of the customers well. I mean, our marks are very high on service and support, but also we take care of them, trying to have insight into what's needed and wanted generically for them. So that as we evolve our tools every year and we come out with releases of tools every year, it's relevant for them. It's not just some shiny object or looks cool. No, well, it really ultimately makes a difference. Let's spend time diving into like the data side of it. Because, you know, Esri is a software yeah. company, but yes. um, it is basically built on top of data. You have kind of external data. You've got public data. Obviously, people bring in their own data into Esri. And yeah. then Esri like kind of takes that data and makes it shine, whether it's RGIS or business analyst, or the different tools that you have. Like, how do you think about like the data ecosystem and how, how important right. is that to like the success of the company? Yeah, well, people have often said data fuels GIS and its success. Most of our customers in the government space create their own data you know, parcel boundaries, they yep. digitize them and they serve them or forest inventories or, uh, you know, road inventories or utility. They're all about creating and managing their systems of record. That's their database. You know, it's not financial data, it's geographic data. It's then uh, often they'll fly aircrafts and they'll store pictures that yep. they interact with uh, these sorts of things. Uh, and, but in the private sector, it's a very different game. Uh, they usually want us to provide data for them to be able to, uh, they're not about systems of record keeping, public records or so. So we often pull public information together and then package it in our, in our cloud environment so they can, uh, this data can be made available to our customers freely. Uh, and a lot of it is open data. We actually take all the government's open data and try to organize it into uh, application ready data services that people can sort of mash together and, and use. So in the beginning, it was a big segment between private sector and public sector data uh, and users. Now it's starting to mishmash that, you know, public sector users are wanting to buy or access uh, private data sets uh, freely. So your question really is getting at what is ESRI doing in the data space, right? I mean, we build these great tools, and then we create this cloud environment, which is uh, references 
our customers' data all over the world. And we have like, uh, I think it's over 40 million data sets that we reference in our catalog in yep. ArcGIS Online. Yeah, we can amazing. access that data. Uh, but in that same space, uh, increasingly, by the way, people like yourselves have made your data offerings available in an affordable way to our customers and they're subscribing to your service. And it's enriching you know, both the public sector and the private sector. So. Uh, we are sort of facilitators of getting great data to our customers. Uh, and so our, uh, yeah, imagery data, street data, your dynamic data, these are all, uh, you know, POI data. They're all great things that our customers now are figuring out. They don't have to maintain them in their own system of record like we did 30 years ago. They can actually- The way I, the way I kind of see it with Esri, it'd be interesting if you just, is kind of like a flywheel. Like the more- mm -hmm the more kind of different um, uh, uh, um, geographic data there is, the more mm -hmm. is important to have a tool like Esri. The more people have a tool like Esri, the more people create <laughs> geographic data. And it, there's this, this kind of flywheel that, that keeps going, which is a virtuous circle. Do you see it something in, some, in a similar way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm grounded in geography, the science of our world. Yep. I mean, that's really the the basis for it all. So how do you abstract uh, geography? Well, I think of it as abstracting geographic knowledge. And some of those are data sets. Uh, so, you know, whether it's vectors or rasters or surfaces or uh, digital twins, it's basically GIS creates these uh, data sets. And then GIS also applies these data sets in modeling and, and analytics things. Uh, and those models are also part of the geographic knowledge. So there's data knowledge, there's modeling knowledge, there's map cartography representation knowledge. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's reporting knowledge like that great map from uh, Johns Hopkins. Yeah. You know, they uh, that has COVID been viewed COVID. now. Yeah. COVID two trillion times. I Amazing. think I was mentioning this to you recently. And what those guys did is they pulled data from all over the internet. They aggregated and made the data useful and then support this uh, interactive dashboard that has informed the world about what's going on. And that's very common with our users. They are sort of like, they hoover up or vacuum cleaner up data from wherever they can get it, as well as they maintain their own data. And sometimes they buy data and they bring it together, integrate it, and then they create, build great applications. And the, the value of the data kind of like it grows as the more the data is getting joined together. Yeah. So, you know, it's like if you put two, one, two data sets by themselves have interesting data value, but when you put them together, it sometimes mm -hmm. has three X the value or, you know, it's like one plus one equals three. And so how do you think about these like join keys to join the data together? Yeah, keys, keys are, are fantastic, join keys. And I, I think the work that you're pioneering actually in this idea of having common keys that are relate keys are really important. Uh, from my perspective, one of the big relate keys is geography itself, you know, the yep. XY location, yep. uh, but also these new, these new adventures of, of having the ability to integrate data uh, with keys is, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's right. Like I know Esri and Safegraph, we've been involved in this like place key to yeah. figure out like for a specific place. Um, but they're, they're obviously you can, you can join on, on a, lo a longitude and latitude. There yeah, are many or, different other ways to potentially join data 
um, and um, and 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 you know a lot of this data is 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 represented differently. The more that it can be easy to join together, you don't need this like incredible yeah. engineering team. Uh, I'm sure like Johns Hopkins, yeah, they they put a lot of data in, but they probably also put a lot of effort and all this like great engineering yeah. to actually join it all together. It wasn't to simple. Pull it all together, yeah. exactly. A lot, lot of it in that case was just tabular data. Yeah, and you know the the reporting structure of uh, counties and countries and zip codes. These are these are kind of common uh, geographic keys that can pull data from different sources and then visualize it. Or in the case of GIS, uh, the spatial analytics that can go on or the big data query sorts of operations that can go on using location as a key is kind of a, a miraculous thing. And, and the world is getting uh, better and better at doing this, being able to use these big data warehouses and then going in with spatial queries and pulling information out for analytics and representation. And we're working on that. Uh, we've been working on it for, for many years, obviously, but it goes from simple map overlay where you're intersecting using geometry and taking relational data uh, and bringing it together, doing join, joins and relates either dynamically or, or fixed uh, to the idea of stuff to get into a trillion you know, feature database yeah. and then uh, asking our questions. These are all on the frontiers. Uh, well, they're all part of this what a GIS system really does. And it's tools and it's the data. So you're right, there's this, there's this natural exciting synergy about wanting to know what's going on, understand the world. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and GIS tools or geospatial tools and, and mapping tools and uh, databases with uh, either uh, fixed data or real-time data is gonna be brought together. And by the way, you know, this, this is this is what's necessary to create uh, understanding in in our complex world. I mean, holistic approaches, which we're going to have to deal with, with big issues of climate and uh, big issues of biodiversity, uh, big issues of you know making smarter cities. You've got to bring the information together so we can understand it, so that we can act in more intelligent ways. Israel is an interesting company. I mean, if you have this huge partner ecosystem, as you said earlier, and I've had I've had the um, pleasure of going to a few of your big part, you know, big partner summits, especially in the pre-COVID days. We're all in person. There's thirty thousand people there um, yeah. interacting in person. Um, how do you decide? Okay, this particular thing, you know, all these different partners are providing important things to help your customers do a better job. Yes. Um, and um, so there are some new things that you might want to do yourself as part of Esri Inc. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some things that actually might be better for partners to do. Um, how do you, how do you like think internally as to like, what should we do internally versus, you know, we, what should we yeah. rely on all these partners to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah. Our, here in the U.S., I think we're like you said, 1.3 million billion in revenue, but we drive about a 27 or 28 billion dollar uh, ecosystem around us that builds on top of us, or and some of that that Which is, is the data. true definition of a platform, right? It's 20x, <laughs> uh, yeah, right? it's a platform. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little tiny, you know, tail wagging a, a huge uh, footprint of technologies and solutions, and our approach is that we're now uh, earlier this year. Uh, you may know we opened up the hood of Esri uh, with open source APIs that can actually access our fundamental platform capabilities. And we've had actually, just in these few couple months, 
thousands and thousands of developers who are doing startups that are actually embedding a very simplified API uh, and you know putting maps in their apps. Or oh yeah, I, I play with related. it. It's amazing. It's it's incredible it's what they're doing. It's a kind of a cool thing. But ultimately, there can be tension between what we're building here in core versus what people want to build as distinctions for their various businesses. And it hasn't really been as big of a problem as you might think, uh, partly because our main focus is to build uh, focused, core, first principles technology and let other people exploit it in the area of application business. And we've had a couple of application, uh, we call them geo-enabled systems that we've had to build because there were no partners that really wanted to develop it. But generally speaking, I'd rather not do that. The one that we did that we did uh, in partnership and part with you is business analyst. And this is all about, uh, you know, picking retail sites or uh, manufacturing sites, bringing all the data together in a prepackaged form. And um, that's used by everybody from Starbucks to Walgreens to, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commercial organizations. But generally speaking, uh, and again, I'll just emphasize nobody, we tried to get, you know, people that were doing this stuff to be able to build on our platform. They didn't do it. So we simply sat down and did it. But it's a reluctant, a reluctant thing. The way I, the way I see it as a partner um, who works with Esri, I, you know, the, the, I think you do such a great job with partners in my theory, and you could tell me where, if I'm right or not, but yeah. my theory about why you do such a good job is, is goes back to those, some of those original things that we talked about. In, in, in some ways, you're, 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 you're run with a very long-term view. You're not public. So you don't have this like worry about your stock price. It's like, oh, we're going right. to, you know, we need to juice the next quarter. So, you know, what, right. what other companies do is they start squeezing the partners a little bit more. They get a little bit extra yes. percentage out of the partners and stuff. You have the ability to take a much longer term view uh, because you don't have to like think in like in these kind of quarter to quarter. So this, this is my theory. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of this? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, uh, when we assess going into a particular market segment, uh, we have partners. Like in utilities, we have over 100 partners. Uh, everybody from Schneider Electric and, uh, you know, uh, Siemens to little small mom and pop shops that do various work. Uh, but if I wanted to say I'm going to build the complete system for utility companies, wow, that, you know, this get greedy. I could yeah. grow, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to do that. I'd rather serve those markets with great tools. There are customers, big ones, PG&E or Edison or others, Con Ed, but they're, they're really, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 can, I can sleep at night and really do a great job and make breakthroughs by not having to eat all of that you know, 10X um, stuff. Now, in the last year, has been really interesting. This kind of COVID year that we've we've just kind of gone through, and there, there's kind of this increasing need to understand what's happening in the physical world. Yes. Um, and you know, at, at Safegraph, you know, we we've made our data available more to like academics and researchers and journalists, and also a lot of government organizations for non-commercial purposes. And Esri's really kind of like all, all, kind of supercharged that mission as well. You really like, you know, worked, did a lot of stuff to make your software available for free to all these different organizations. Like, how did you like, just think about making that decision? Because, you know, it, it, it probably has some sort of, at least near-term financial cost to you to serve, to, you know, to serve these things as, as the, as the world's a little bit in crisis. 
Yeah, well, we have a disaster response team. It's kind of a virtual team. It comes together during any disaster. And this really started way back in the Northwood earthquake uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, where and in the Mississippi floods and the Missouri floods and uh, where we would stand up a policy set of giving our software to the to the first responders or to the NGOs or the or the agencies that were being impacted by the disaster. And uh, so now there's like 20 people that work in that sort of they sort of turn on anytime a crisis happens. And whether it's in Indonesia with the, the this or you know in Alaska with that. Uh, so that's kind of in our DNA. We sort of cover it with our, our overall ecosystem costs. Uh, and when COVID hit, I mean, it scared the hell out of all of us, I'm sure. <laughs> we said, what can we do to really support it? So we started to build templates and then provide our software to all the ministries around the world. Uh, you know, worked closely with CDC, worked closely with WHO, who are our customers, but all these other ones who wanted to see once what's going on in their and their, you know, citizens and their agencies and so on really wanted to, to know what the heck is going on. So uh, I'm being a little abstract here, but I think well, basically. I, I mean, I remember in kind of in March, April 2020, you know, uh, constantly being on the phone with all these different folks at Esri. And we're doing all these different things to help the governments and, yes. um, and, and help them help them out. And then there were so many other companies that were trying to get to help either to, to, to um, uh, donate some data or do other types of things. But they, a lot of them were unwilling, partially because they were larger public companies. They, you know, their, their lawyers were saying, I, I don't think it's not that they didn't want to help. It's that um, they, they were, you know, maybe worried about getting sued or, you know, this other thing. Yeah. Whereas like, even though Esri is this massive company, you just kind of like dove in. It's like, it's like you didn't even have like a, a lawyer in the room. You could just do something. <laughs> Thing. Is that just because, you know, it, 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 even though it's a huge company, it's also a small company or like, how did you just like, just dive in and do it without like worrying about the lawyers and stuff? Well, uh, yeah, I don't want this to sound self-serving. It's just part of our DNA. I mean, we yeah. jumped in and look, we did it mostly through users and with partners. Uh, by the way, thank you for all the donation work that you and your team put together. I mean, your data was amazing. It was the first data that allowed people to see that that the executive order here in California by the governor actually was working. You know, <laughs> when oh, I called you. you up, I mean, it was amazing. And the governor himself, you know, he understood it. You know, who is staying home and listening to the governor? Who is not? Yep. Well, we could see that very clearly on the maps that you had uh, as it at overlaid with the actual infections that were occurring. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's a uh, every, I don't think it's unique to us. Every, Everybody wants to help. And I think that's the spirit that, that we have to encourage uh, entrepreneurs and, and large companies all over the world to really buy into is as we, I mean, the COVID wave of, of cat catastrophe was, I think, only the beginning of a series of other big global challenging issues like climate and like, uh, like the loss of biodiversity. And we got to figure out how we can uh, volunteer and also run a, a business, uh, how we can contribute on these uh, big challenges that are facing us. And that's going to be a very personal thing. We are not wrestled with the need to have short-term gain on everything that we're dealing with. So having a private company that we can, that is sustainable based on uh, support by all of our users 
uh, is really a, a, a privilege that I don't take lightly. I mean, we had to take a long time to build the damn thing. Yeah. But it does allow us to- 50, 50, yeah, 50, 50 plus years. years. Yeah. It, it does allow us to really focus on the things that, that we really care about as humans. Uh, so I encourage all of the listeners here to think seriously about what your real purpose is in life and see if you could build an organization that uh, really is responsive. And mm-hmm. for and, and I know that getting money and capital is uh, you know a necessity to really growing and supporting your business. Except I'm here to tell you that uh, it isn't absolutely necessary because you can do it if you're patient, slow, stick to your stick to your values, keep integrity, keep your agreements, uh, you know, and continue working like like uh, crazy. I mean, look. This doesn't just happen, show up, you know, you become an executive and you show up. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I got to tell you that, I mean, uh, the people here uh, work their ass off. <laughs> and we still do day and night. And we don't take that as a casual thing. It's a privilege to be able to be in this organization and do what we do. Well, a couple before we leave, just a couple personal questions. So, you know, I I I I often say to SafeGraph employees that the only job I'd rather have than being like the CEO of SafeGraph is the CEO of Esri because it's just like it's just. It's, and I think it must be like the best job in the world. Like, do you ever just like pinch yourself and you know, or do you write like a gratitude journal? I mean, you get to do these like amazing things every day. Well, I I do have a privileged uh, position. I know that because I can see the amazing work and dedication. Uh, particularly in the private, in the public sector, the public service work that's going on is just amazing. So uh, I appreciate my job. Uh, are are you suggesting that I step aside and you're going to no, take it over? Definitely not. Like, ah, no, definitely. On, I don't no, think I could do it better no, than you. Uh, but do, do, do you ever do, like, do you write like a? I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you have like a? Do you write like gratitude or do you just like? You know, I, I don't know. Do, do, is there some way where you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing? Or how, how do you like think about this like great? You know, you get to do all these like amazing things every day. I think I think I, I appreciate uh, the work that I get an opportunity to do. Uh, I also believe that you get there by really um, working hard and creating your your situation. Everybody creates their own situation, and everybody has to figure out who they serve. You know, in life, this is a big thing. Do you serve your family? Do you serve your your spouse? Do you serve your your um, your community? Do you yep. serve you know the the public market? Do you serve your stockholders? Who do you serve? So. Uh, by keeping life quite simple from the business perspective, I get a chance to serve on the big issues that I really think I care about, which is conservation, education of kids, um, and then also building cool tools that empower and allow our users to really uh, do a better job. And, uh, and that's thrilling. And uh, I don't take it lightly. I mean, competition is here. You know, technology is changing. The world is uh, in crisis. but uh, in our little world, <laughs> I get to I get to uh, to play hard. Not everybody, you know, can drive a race car, and yeah, uh, it's it's tough to drive a race car, as you know. I mean, you you come into the corners, and do you how much do you let off the gas uh, so that you can make it around the corner, or how much do you keep your foot on the gas so that your competitor doesn't pass you up? So life is in a way like if you're playing at a hundred percent, yeah, then life is like driving a race car. And I like to play at 100%. And I like my colleagues to play at 100%. And 
building an organization where you have the opportunity to play at 100% without some of the constraints of this or that, uh, that takes time, but it's totally doable. And life is too short not to play at 100%. That's my view. I love that. All right. Last question. We asked this to all of our guests, but what would you tell yourself back in like high school, college to, you know, to save yourself either time or money or emotional well-being today? Like what could, if you go back in time and tell the the young Jack, what would you, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, well, the, the thing that was always in the back of my head was, uh, was just make it through this one. Uh, you know, I didn't have any grand vision of being someplace. It was, okay, just finish this quarter at university. I was not a very good student, but I learned how to learn in university. Before that, just for dyslexic problems I had, it was very hard for me to read and hard to do a lot of things. Uh, but overcoming that was uh, just intensive work in university to learn how to learn. And my phrase was always, okay, just make it through this quarter. Just make it through one year of college and your life will be better, you know? Yeah. Or, okay, just make it through college, get a degree, and then they'll be okay. Just making it through, just making it through, then later <laughs> we started to just make it through this quarter. It's just make like, it you know, the, the Woody Allen advice, like, just show up. Just make sure just, you're showing up and, and getting right. there. Or something. Yeah. And some of it is showing up, but also some of it is, is working, you know, with a, a sense of purpose and, uh, and learn, keep learning from it. I mean, uh, I don't have any great single mentors. Uh, I'm learning from everybody and everybody seems to help me. You know, I, I love that idea. Uh, and uh, they do. If you're willing to be open and not so egotistical, uh, the world really wants to help you. And I think that's true with all entrepreneurs. People don't like ego and I'm something and I'm great. Yeah. They just sort of, okay, I guess I don't need to help that person. But if you really are open uh, and intentional in doing good, uh, the world opens up for you. Well, this has been amazing. Th- thank you so much for, for being our guest today. This has been really helpful. And, and I, I've learned a lot, Jack. <laughs> you're, you're a great guy. You know, I, I greatly admire you. I'm so glad that person opened my office and we got a chance <laughs> to meet each other. It was a good thing, actually. I'm, I'm very sincere about that. So anyway, good luck to you. Good luck to all of your listeners. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider rating this podcast and leaving a review. For more World of DAS, and DAS is D-A-A-S, you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. And also check out YouTube for videos. You can find me at Twitter at at Oren, that's A-U-R-E-N, Oren, and we'd love to hear from you. World of DAS is brought to you by SafeGraph.